Luke chapter 15. These are going to be some familiar scriptures because they've been our text. We're a little bit ahead on Sunday morning and then verse complete verse by verse on Wednesday evening. Tonight I would like to get through chapters 15 and 16. So as we look at chapter 15, we have three parables. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 7, the parable of the lost sheep. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured and said, This man, he receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the over 99 just persons who need no repentance. One of the things this um, parable teaches, if we just turn back again, we'll be a little repetitive with chapter 13, where the Lord talks about the necessity of repentance And I'd point out in verse one who he's addressing this parable to. He's addressing it to um, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. Um, They were drawn. They were um, captivated that this man of God would associate with them. But it caused the negative reaction in verse two of the scribes and the Pharisees. They murmured saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So if you go back to chapter 13, again, um, the Lord in the first five verses makes one thing very, very clear about the issue of sin and who's a greater sinner. If you look at verse one, there were present at this season some who told him, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And now he repeats it using a different analogy. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of uh, Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than any other who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The problems the religious leaders were having, we talked about on Sunday, uh, the one thing the Lord just can't handle, and that is hypocrisy. And they were murmuring because they actually felt they were better than the people that Jesus was having supper with because they were tax collectors and sinners. So they copped an attitude. And their attitude is, we're better than they are. 
Who does he think he is that he would associate with such? So what Luke 13 clearly is telling us, um, these things didn't happen to these people because they were worse sinners. The idea here is that over and over again is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God sees people in two classes. Either you're a saved sinner or you're a lost sinner. The danger of being a really nice guy, and there are a really a lot of nice guys in the world, versus a lot of really bad guys. You can say amen to that because it's true. But not when compared to a holy living God. Now, in that perfection, without exception, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. His glory filled the temple. And all he could do is say, woe is me. Woe is me. For I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and I have unclean lips. Isaiah was an okay guy. He was a good king. But when in the presence of a holy God, he was undone. Uh, because of, uh, of the holiness of God. So what we have in this parable is the idea of um, the Lord actually seeking after those who have this attitude, well, I could never be a Christian. I know who I am. And um, he is saying, he's setting the standard that there's not one that is worse than the other one in the sight of God. Because all have sinned and there's none good. No, not one. And I will go over this many, many times tonight. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And, and yet we're told um, that this example of a good shepherd who actually goes out of his way because the people who wanted to hear him, we read the common people heard him gladly. They were drawn by the beauty of um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, They shall inherit the earth. And this would draw the average person in. They would hang on every word that Jesus spoke. But it it was a thorn in the flesh to the self-righteous Pharisees. So on Sunday, or I don't remember it was last Wednesday, if I was quoting from uh, Philip Keller, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. This is, this is a classic. It's been around for many, many years. And um, I, only, I think I said then, I only wish I had more time to read a little bit more out of it. Well, it's Wednesday night, so I got a little bit more time, so I'm going to read a little bit more out of it. So this whole idea, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But we're going to put it in the context. Um, Philip Keller um, actually was a sheep herder in Australia for about seven or eight years, and his insights into being a shepherd, their nature, their character. Um, he says, and I'll just, I'm just going to read several paragraphs, and it's, this one will be, I shall not want. Since the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. Actually, the word want, as used here, has a broader meaning than might be first imagined. No doubt the main concept is that of not lacking, not deficient, improper care, management. But a second emphasis is the idea of being utterly content in the good shepherd's care and consequently not desiring 
or craving anything more. One of the fallacies that is common among Christians today is the assertion that if a man or a woman is prospering uh, materially, it is a significant mark of the blessing of God on their lives. This simply is not so. Rather, in bold contrast, we read in Revelation 3.17, because you say I am rich, increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The church of Laodicea, they had a self-perception of themselves. And we said, this is great. We don't have need of, need of anything. But the Lord had a completely different perspective. And uh, he tells them, it's just the opposite. Your perception of yourself is wrong because everything is fine. You got lots of money. And um, therefore, um, the Lord is saying just the opposite of true. Or, in an equally pointed way, Jesus made it clear to the rich young ruler who wished to become his follower, one thing thou lacks, go thy way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Well, the guy couldn't do it. He wanted to follow the Lord, and he said, that's great, come on along. Um, but, you know, just give, give what you have to the poor, because you see, being the guys don't have any money. Uh, the Bible tells us that they were cared for by the women that out of their own means paid the grocery bill for supper. And when it came tax time, Peter didn't have any money. Uh, go, go fishing, Peter. First fish you catch, he's going to have a, a coin in it and take the coin out and go pay your taxes. And what I like to say, isn't the Lord a great guy to have around at tax time? <laughs> And, but my point is I really, he said, Jesus said, um, birds have nests and fox have holes. I saw a fox in my backyard this morning. Um, uh, they vacated their den about a month ago. And now we, I haven't seen them in a month, or she. Well, she was back this morning. And she was checking out um, her hole. Birds of the air have nests. And um, foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So when you hear the prosperity teachers today that say, if Jesus was alive today, he'd be, he'd be driving a Porsche. Just the opposite would be true. The greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. Who said so? Jesus. What was uh, his... Um, um, what's, a, what's a fancy label for clothing? Um, best I could come up with is Gap. <laughs> Shows you how I shop. <laughs> but um, no, it was camel hair. And um, he ate wild locust and honey. That was his diet. He lived in the wilderness. And um, that was his lifestyle. And the Lord commended him for it. Based on the teachings of the Bible, we can only conclude that David was not referring to material or physical property when he made the statement, I shall not want. For this very reason, the Christian has to take a long, hard look at life. He has to recognize that, as with many of God's uh, choice people before him, he may be called on an experience 
lack of wealth or material benefits. He has to see his journey upon the planet as a brief interlude during which there may well be some um, provision in a physical sense, yet amid such hardship, he can still boast, I shall not want, I shall not lack, and expect care and management of my master. In other words, if we would quote here from um, the Apostle Paul, Paul says, I know how to live in abundance, but I know also how to live when I have nothing, and I'm starving and it's cold, and I, he says, I have learned, and this is a learning process. There's a misconception in the world, especially in America, with the prosperity teachers. And um, um, Paul is saying, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. So when we look at this shepherd, the parable of the lost sheep, the Lord is my shepherd. It carries with it the idea, because he is, I'm content with whatever situation I am right now. Maybe it's great, all the bills are paid, I got money in the bank, praise the Lord. Maybe you're behind in a couple of months, uh, house payments, and you don't know where the next paycheck is coming. Praise the Lord. Either way, whatever state you're in, whether abounding or abased, that's not the issue to the Christian. Good place for an amen. Our contentment that we have, according to God's word, like Paul said, in whatever state, I have learned to be content. So, as we look at this first parable, the idea Deanness of, of just being at peace and be, not being anxious, that all goes along with this because our world is caught up in a monetary financial system that pretty much governs the way most people think and respond to life circumstances. It should not be so for us. So the parable, let's go on to the next one, the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not, uh, light a lamp, sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now remember Luke 13. Unless you repent, you will perish. Now that's across the board for everybody. And if, again, if you're self-righteous, you see no need of the repentance, but the tax collectors and prostitutes, you didn't have to persuade them, they were sinners. And their readiness to repent was there. Um, the idea here is lost, uh, where it probably would make more sense to this woman who would have been Jewish. And um, customarily, you know, the gals today, if they get married, they'll get one of these nice little head-studded uh, things with the, either real or fake diamonds. Um, I forget what they call them. But back in those days, there would have been 10 coins that would have went around, and they would wear them, and it was equivalent to a wedding ring. Now, imagine losing your wedding ring. And that, that's the equivalent of this. The coin was probably part of a roll of coins which formed a headpiece signifying her marriage state. 
To lose a part of it was like losing a stone out of one's wedding ring. The woman depicts the Holy Spirit whose ministry is to make sure that each one who belongs to the bridegroom will be present for the wedding and every coin will be in place. Everyone is valuable to him. So to her it was like losing a diamond. And so she's freaking out having to find it because it would be equivalent to your your wedding ring. And um, there was such joy over finding it. Um, It's related to Likewise, the joy, and this is what struck me, that there is an emotional response to the angelic realm when one person comes to a place of repentance. When they get to that place, we'll see it graphically laid out in the lost son, where somehow, some way, people think there's, they can find satisfaction, contentment, fulfillment, meaning in life, outside of a personal relationship with the Lord. And the person that comes to that place and figures out, that's not where it's at. That's not gonna make me happy. It's not gonna satisfy my soul. But Lord, you do and you will. And so when Paul talks about this learning process, um, we go through as young Christian, sifting through, well that's weird, we finally learn, well that guy's off the wall. And um, we get reading classics like this, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and what the Word of God has to say about biblical contentment and satisfaction. One of my favorite songs is You Satisfy My Soul. And what people today are not happy, um, the rich you are, the, the, in, in most cases, um, who was it that was asking some multimillionaire um, how much money more do you need that will make you happy? His answer was, just a little more. <laughs> just a little more. Because the contentment is never there. It's always just a little more. So, um, these are three parables that tell one story, but this is the longest of the three. And it is the parable of the prodigal, you might say, or the parable of the lost son. And the first, we, uh, we camped on this, and it's what's important is verse 11, just this one verse, a certain man had two sons. So we're introduced to the father. The nature and the character of the father is gonna be more fully revealed of what kind of a father this man actually was as we get into our story. So he has two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. Um, Moved to Vegas, moved to some big city, got involved with the nightlife, probably had a lot of friends. He was probably picking up the tab for everybody and anybody. And um, uh, he, he blew it all really quick uh, with prodigal living. Um, his older brother gets a little more who knew him. Um, if you look at verse... Let's see, verse, um, 
Let's look at verse 29. Here it is, verse 30. But as soon as the son of yours came home who devoured your livelihood with harlots. So he gets, right, he gets graphic here. He, he points out what he was really doing. He was spending his money on prostitutes. And, and you know, the nightlife and everything that, that goes with it. There's a lot of uh, um, party time going on right now. It's 4th of July. And um, um, in reality, it's really, in people's heart, not a commemoration, for some it is, a commemoration of our independence, um, loyalty, and honorable salutes to the men and women who have served it. No, what it really is, is a couple days off where we can picnic and party. And uh, that's really what people do. They spend the majority of the time doing that. Um, The whole idea of fireworks is the idea, I was watching the news tonight, and how how some, some of the guys that were being interviewed were vets that came back from Vietnam that have uh, the post-war disorder. And they say, this is going to be a tough night. It freaks me out. And um, (laughs) my dog ran away on the 4th of July. My little golden retriever, Allie, she was about two or three at the time. And when they first started off with those fireworks, I could tell that dog she would listen to me like you wouldn't believe. I could talk to him like a person. But when they started going, bam, 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 well, she was gone. And I said, Allie, get back here. And um, she actually wore out the bottoms of her paws because she literally ran away about two miles away. Some guy picked her up and took her into a bar and fell in love with her. My dog. (laughs) So I put up posters all, all around the area reward here's a picture of my dog and this guy's sitting at this bar every night and one of the guys comes in and says this dog belongs to this guy give it back to him he says no i've gotten attached to it so the guy's in a bar i'm telling I'm, i'm getting a story finally this guy after two weeks of keeping my dog i get a phone call and um remember my point in all this was the fireworks and and and, and vets being freaked out. And it even says with your pets, close all the doors, put on some music, so they don't freak out. Allie freaked out. And she wore her pads. So she, she was on the run and didn't stop till this guy took her into to a bar. And after his buddies ragged on him for two weeks and saying, what kind of a jerk are you keeping this guy's dog? I mean, he's got posters all over the neighborhood and you're, all right, so I get a phone call, and um, um, I think I had a, I don't know what I had for reward, and I saw my dog, and I said, you stay right here, I'm getting your reward, and he says, no, and you keep it. The guys had laid a pretty heavy guilt trip on him. <laughs> he didn't want the money. So, you know, again, all that uh, to say that... Um, um, this time of year, this holiday that we celebrate, uh, sometimes we miss the forest for the trees in our holidays, certainly in this generation. 
So we left off in verse uh, 13. He wasted it all, didn't have a dime in his pocket, but when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Um, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his field to feed swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I'm sure he was having a you know, steak every other night before this, and now that was all gone. He has no money. Um, he's hungry. Uh, his fair-weather friends weren't helping him out. And I like this because we call this coming to the end of one's self, of realizing that sometimes you just have to hit bottom and come to the end of yourself. And that's what verse 17 is saying. But when he came to himself. It's another way of saying he finally hit rock bottom. He had no other place to go, and he had nothing else he could do. We would say he was broken. And um, he began to think about himself. And because there's a scripture, we quoted it when we went through this in detail. It says, bring up your child in the ways of the Lord, And then when he is old, he will not depart from that. Well, we went from a child to being old. What happened in the meantime? Well, the possibility and probability that he played the prodigal. And the thing is that's important about being um, insistent with your children, teaching them the ways of the Lord now. Uh, There's a good chance they're going to leave the house and they're going to play the prodigal. So what do you do? You pray that he comes to the end of themselves. Because when this man came to the end of himself, he still had hope. He thought in his mind, I know what I'll do. I know that my dad feeds the servants and laborers really good. So he practices this little speech. But my point here is he was brought up, go back to verse 11, this certain man was a godly man. And he raised his kids the right way. So when he hit bottom, he at least knew where he could go. Now, one of the points that I made is what if you weren't brought up in the ways of the Lord and you hit bottom and you have no hope? This is when people check out. They say, there's nothing to live for. There's nothing I have. Um, They can't quote 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, with everything said and done, I still have faith, I still have hope, and I still have love. Go ahead, take it all away. And what do you still have? I still have faith, can't take that away from me. Still have hope, can't take that away from me. And I still have love, can't take that away from me either. And so this is what he had. And because when he came to himself, he had that hope. Just like the scripture says, bring up your child in the ways of the Lord and when he is old. You see that seed of hope planted inside of him. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings it back to remembrance. Oh, I think I'll I'll come home. And by coming home we just don't mean a physical place to an earthly father or a house. We're talking about coming back to the Lord. And... Jesus is using this in three forms. 
the lost coin, um, the lost sheep, and now the lost son. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I I perish here with hunger. I will arise and, and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, if you weren't here on Sunday when I started this, this was our text, and, um, or the Sunday before, I can't remember. And as I was praying about Sunday's message, I was listening to Julie Miller, a Christian um, musician. She married Buddy Miller. How many of you Nashville cats know who Buddy Miller is? Okay, let me ask you another question. How many people know what a Les Paul guitar is? Okay, more hands went up. Now, if you're really famous, eventually they will make a Les Paul and put your name on it. Well, Buddy Miller has his name on a Les Paul guitar. He's very famous, maybe not in the Appleton realm, but definitely in the Nashville realm. They know who Buddy Miller is. um, 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 Julie married Buddy, and uh, I was playing it for Judy one morning because we were talking about the song, I Will Arise and Go to Jesus. We wanted to know where it came from. Well, it came from Charles Wesley. That's how old that song is. And found out that he wrote 6,500 hymns. Now remember, there's two of them. There's John Wesley and there's Charles Wesley. And one of them was a hymn writer and the other one was an evangelist. So I'm listening to this song and I'm thinking, Lord, where should we go on Sunday? And I was just skimming this verse and I was in verse 18. And when she began to sing, I will rise and go to Jesus. And I won't sing no more, don't worry about it. Okay, but as soon as she sang those words, I was reading verse 18. I will arise and go to my Father. And I thought, okay, there's, that's a confirmation for me, Lord, and that's why we had that as our text on, on Sunday. I have sinned against heaven and before you, for I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And I think one of the points we made is I think he practices speech all the way home. When I see dad, this is what I'm going to say. When he sees me coming, what's his reaction going to be? And so this is what I'm going to tell him. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I believe dad looked out that window every day and he was praying, Lord, would you bring my son home? Do whatever it takes. That's the best prayer that you can ever pray for somebody who's lost. Lord, whatever it takes. Last Sunday's message was on hell. And after doing a a thorough in-depth study on what the reality of hell is all about, it should affect our prayer life for people who are not less saved. Oh, and by the way, I held up books and tracts, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell this when we're at the end of the story. Well, the books were gone even before the first service was over, and we ran out of William Booth's vision of hell. We ran out of uh, those too. Having said that, we have printed a whole lot more. <laughs> we're out of the book, but we could at least, if you didn't, weren't able to get yours on Sunday, uh, we have some more printed up. So uh, William Booth lived in the late 1800s, died in the early 1900s, the founder of the Salvation Army. And basically, it's a track that he wrote 
after the Lord gave him a vision of people going to hell and how people respond to it. It's about four pages long. It's a must read. All right, so his son is finally coming home, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and let's be merry. For this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to make merry. In the Doville family, it was one at a time. And um, when dad finally got saved, then it was like a domino effect for the rest of them. And... um, um, these verses here, the, the joy when one of the other family members um, came around. I can remember to this day, mom accepting the Lord, but she hadn't, she'd been curious because we were always talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that was all about. And she was just not getting it. She was talking to the Lord about it. And I remember coming home one day, she's looking out, we were living in Oshkosh, um, on a Maricopa Drive, there's a golf course out there. And mom is looking out the window, she's crying like a little baby, and I thought, uh-oh, mom and dad had a fight or something's going on here. <laughs> and um, I said, mom, what's wrong? And she says, it's Jesus. And he just came upon me. And, I, and she says, I don't know how to explain it. I said, Mom, I, I know exactly what you mean. And so that's when the Lord does it different ways in different times. And um, we talked about this when we talked about baptism. By the way, baptism is coming up. If you haven't been baptized since you've been a believer, you should be. Why? Because Jesus says so. Good enough reason? <laughs> Amen. So... Um, uh, that'll be coming up uh, shortly. But um, this experience, we find in Acts that they were baptized by Philip, first of all, but they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. So this was in Samaria. They called down to Jerusalem for Peter and John to come up. Peter and John lay hands on these men and women, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and you read the story about Cornelius, the first Gentile who was saved. And an angel appears to him in Joppa and he says, well, you need to go to Cornelius' house. In the meantime, Cornelius has gathered all of his friends because he got word that Peter's coming and he's gonna tell him how to get saved. So as he's giving the Bible study, he gets to the, bar, the part where God sent his son into the world to forgive you of your sins. Well, that was the end of the Bible study because the Holy Spirit interrupted the Bible study and fell upon everybody in the room and they all began to speak in tongues. And Peter watches all this. The Jews say, this is impossible. Gentiles getting saved. And uh, they couldn't believe it. So what does Peter say? 
He says, who can forbid that these should not be baptized now in water, seeing that they've already received the Holy Spirit? So Dwight, why are you telling us this? Well, you can't put God in a box. If he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit first, he might. And then you get baptized later. Or you could get baptized first, like in Acts 8, and get filled later um, with the Holy Spirit. For me, it was a one-time experience. I was baptized in water and came out of the water speaking in tongues. But with my best friend, Pat, who's in Africa right now, oh, he coveted, wanted this, because he accepted the Lord, loved the Lord, but he knew he hadn't experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And where did Pat get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Praying about it on Highway 41. (laughs) In his car. You know, you got to pull over these days to talk on the phone. Pat had to pull over his car because he was being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so it happens in a different way. The Lord would heal people in different ways. To a man said, well, what do you want? He says, well, I want my sight. He says, okay, so see. Another time he'd spit in the ground and put mud in his eyes and say, now go wash it out. And um, again, the idea that you, we can't limit the Lord to do things his way and categorize it and say, well, here's exactly how it's supposed to be done. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Lord has a diversity on how he does what he does. So the party is set. The reason for the party is my son who was lost is found and they began to make merry. Now, in the second part of this, um, um, I would tie in if you're taking notes Psalm 119 verse 67 which says before I was afflicted I went astray but now I have kept your word and that is a very important scripture because it tells us the, the necessity of being brought to the end of yourself and sometimes affliction does that and affliction can take on different, different forms the necessity of affliction. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, picking it up in verse 5. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastising of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure, now here's the thing. Um, In the parable of the sower, the second part of it in time of temptation, it says they fell away. In in other words, the idea was, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I thought becoming a Christian meant, well, I'm going to be happy, healthy, and, and wealthy and wise and all that, and it's a misconception. Um, Here it says, if you endure chastising. So there's a lot of things that the Lord has to weed out, if you will, from our old life, and that's a time process. Sometimes it's not pleasant. So if you can endure the chastising as God deals with you as a son, for what son is there whom a father does not chastise? 
But if you are without chastising, of which you have become partakers, in other words, this is part of being a Christian, then you are illegitimate, not sons. In other words, if you're caught up in sin and getting away with it, you're illegitimate and you're not even a son. Continue living in sin and thinking it's okay. That was the attitude in Corinth. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who have corrected us. We've paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, uh, for a few days, chastise us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastising seems to be joyful uh, for the present, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What are we being trained by? Well, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not gonna um, desire something that's gonna take away my peace. I'm content. And you wanna be able to look in the mirror and say, are are you a content man today? Are you satisfied with what you got? And um, how's the old saying go? You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You ever hear that one before? It's true. But sometimes we don't learn that, and sometimes we have to learn it um, the hard way. Therefore, strengthen the knees which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The necessity of adversity. All right, let's go back to Luke. The necessity of adversity. I like the ring of that. Luke. We left off. Now we're introduced to the older son, the son who has been working hard on the field. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and he said, what's going on? What's, what's the meaning of this? And he said, well, it's your brother. He's come, and he, we received him safe and sound, and dad has killed Your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry. It would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And um, I could just see dad going out and say, you know, you should be happy about all this. And that, um, come on in and join the party. Be with your brother. Tell him you love him, that kind of stuff. And he said to his father, dad, lo, these many years I've been uh, serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you've never even given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours, now he's not even seeing him as a brother, the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill a fatted calf and you have a party. And then he said, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and he was lost and now he's found. Let me speak to those that are faithful in um, your stewardships, you're you're faithful in what God has called you to do. You have your priorities uh, set and um, you're just pressing on, praying for perseverance, praying for discernment, 
And um, I like the word perseverance because I see the Christian walk as a marathon and not a 100-yard dash. Everybody with me on that one? Endurance. Enduring. Those who endure, it says, to the end shall be saved. What's implied there? That there's going to be a lot that are going to fall off before we get to the finish line. So he who endures to the end. So a word to you, we um, um, should have that attitude of contentment and uh, be in that state of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, the son, your day's coming. Everything that I have is yours. And that's what the Lord says to us. We inherit the kingdom and we serve and reign with him. So our payday, so to speak, is um, yet future and it will be What's the right word? It will be merited out and determined if we're faithful in the little things now, we're told, we're being tested. Are you being faithful in the little things now? Well, if you are, he says, then I can trust you to be faithful in much greater things in the kingdom. So let's go on to 16, parable of the unjust servant. And we'll read the whole thing up to verse 15 here. And he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called them and he said to them, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, what am I going to do? For my master is taking my stewardship away from me. I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Ah, I've resolved what to do. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, that I might receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, well, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, tell you what, take your bill, sit down quickly and write down 50. And he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write down 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he dwelt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous manon or money, that when you fall, you may receive you into everlasting habitation. All right, let's just stop, lest there be any misunderstandings here, because we often think if there's a parable that it's always talking about a good guy. This guy is not a good guy. This parable has been greatly misunderstood. And one of the reasons is because it looks as though our Lord is commending a crook. This steward is an out-and-out crook. Some folks assume that anyone whom the Lord Jesus mentions in a parable is a hero or an example of a noble character. If this is your assumption, uh, then prepare to make a change because you'll have difficulty with this parable. This man is nothing more than a scoundrel. And he got taught, he got caught. 
Um, he was his right-hand man, banker, counselor, the whole nine yards, and he was on the take. And now his boss is commending him for it. Um, I'll read, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and while you're turning, I'm going to read something here. In this parable, the Lord uses an example, a man who followed the principles of the world. We are told in the word of God that the world loves its own, but hate those who belong to God. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, that's what the word church means, called out ones, therefore the world hates you. And a child of God does not belong to this world. Are you in Romans chapter 12? Let's read the first two verses. I Beseech is an old English word for I beg you. I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to Lord, which is your reasonable service. Why is it a reasonable thing to say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you as a living sacrifice. Why is it reasonable? Because he died in your place. You should be going to hell. Instead, you're going to heaven based on his righteousness. So that's reasonable, more than reasonable. And because of that, verse two, and don't be conformed to this world. Every generation has different things that come and go. They have different names from baby boomers to whatever. They have their own style. They want to be different. And it's being conformed whichever which way the wind is blowing in the world. Don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My friends, there's only one way that that could happen. How do you renew your mind? Well, you set your priorities. And your priority is being in this book. So if we're saved by faith and grace, but faith only comes by hearing, and hearing only comes by the word of God. So if we're being molded, this is the only thing that should be uh, shaping us and molding us. Good place for an amen? So, and understand that, the, um, I'll be talking about more of this on Sunday, as um, it's just unbelievable what's happening in California right now. And I'll bring that up later. But um, just how bad the world is, they become totally on the offense of separating family from children in the public school system. And um, that's just a teaser for Sunday. Um, Amendments are already in place, and the implications are profound of just how bad it really, really is right now. So the parable here in Romans 12, it's clear. Um, You're not, if the world loves you, look out because uh, the things that we tell them, that there's only one way, and that you have to be born again, oh, you're so narrow-minded. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You know, what about the the pygmies or whatever? Well, God is just. If somebody hasn't heard the gospel, does the Bible still hold them accountable? 
Yeah, Romans 1 says they're without excuse because of creation. But that also says, remember on Sunday we talked about the different levels that will be in hell? And um, when we see how God judges that person who believes in his heart that there was a God and they never heard the gospel, do you think of anybody other than God that would be unjust? No, the Bible says when we see the judgment that is merited out, that everyone will say, true and just and holy and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. Another way of saying spot on. That is exactly the right decision for the circumstances there. That's why we're told to judge nothing before the time. Because we never know really what's in the motive in a person's heart. God does. He knows the Bible says, who much is given, much is required. Is it really that late? See, it's only 7.30, so that means I got another 35 minutes. <laughs> um, where are we here? I gotta make a decision. Um, we left off in chapter 16, and how far did we get with this guy? Um, it's not in Romans, right? you gotta go back to Luke. Luke 16, we'll read up to verse 13. Verse 10, he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unrighteous man, okay, he's talking about literal money here, who will commit you to trust the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in, in another man's, who will give you what is your own? You see, you can't serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, so we're gonna stop here because the reason we're doing this different on Wednesday night, starting a half an hour early, is some of you do want to go um, take in fireworks tonight. So um, mark your Bibles. Um, Luke chapter 16, we left off with the parable of the unjust uh, steward. And uh, let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're grateful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you don't change. Lord, what that brings to our hearts and our minds is this contentment that your word talks to us about, being satisfied and being content. Um, As Paul said, learning uh, how to be content, whatever state we're in, whether we're prospering or whether we're in need right now. Lord, we're grateful for your spirit that brings us contentment knowing at the end of the day we can say no matter what, we still have faith, we still have hope, and we still have love, which you say is the greatest. Go before us tonight, Lord, bless family and friends as they get together over the um, holiday weekend. And um, Lord, help us keep you first in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. God bless you guys real good. We'll see you Sunday morning. Chapter 16. And how far did we get with this guy? Um, it's not in Romans, right? You've got to go back to Luke. Luke 16, we'll read up to 
verse 13. Verse 10. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unrighteous man, okay, he's talking about literal money here, who will commit you to trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in, in another man's, who will give you what is your own? You see, you can't serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, so we're going to stop here because the reason we're doing this different on Wednesday night, starting a half an hour early, is some of you do want to go um, take in fireworks tonight. So um, mark your Bibles. Um, Luke chapter 16, we left off with the parable of the unjust uh, steward. And uh, let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're grateful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you don't change. Lord, what that brings to our hearts and our minds is this contentment that your word talks to us about being satisfied and being content um, as Paul said learning uh, how to be content whatever state we're in whether we're prospering or whether we're in read, need right now Lord we're grateful for your spirit that brings us contentment knowing at the end of the day we can say no matter what we still have faith we still have hope and we still have love which you say is the greatest. Go before us tonight, Lord, bless family and friends as they get together over the um, holiday weekend. And um, Lord, help us keep you first in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. God bless you guys real good. We'll see you Sunday morning.